Hello and welcome to our podcast, The Inspire Club. I'm your host, Ruth Dance. You've hopefully heard me before if you've listened to any of our previous episodes. And I share the duties of hosting The Inspire Club podcast with our team at Inspiring Workplaces. And we interview inspiring people from all over the world. And this is actually, as I always say, my favourite 30 minutes of my week each week. Uh, For those of you that don't know who I am, I am the Managing Director of the Inspiring Workplaces Academy. I'm based in Sussex in the south of England in the UK. And I'm also a mother to three very young and very noisy little boys. So if you do hear them, they are um, under under another responsible adult in this house um, while I chat to our guest of today. And also, if you have listened to any of our previous episodes of Inspire Club, you'll know that just like in the 1990s classic Fight Club, we do have one rule. Our one rule is that each guest must share a story of a person that has inspired them along their way, putting positivity out into the world and also thanking someone who maybe had no idea that they had inspired someone else. It could be a past colleague, but it could come from anywhere outside of the world of work. Let me introduce you to today's guest then. As it's Mental Health Awareness Week here in the UK, I couldn't think of a more perfect guest for Inspire Club today than the very one and only David Beanie, or as I call him, Beans means Heinz. (laughs) (laughs) David worked in media for 36 years, and at one stage he was the managing director of a daily newspaper. David and I often will chat about our experiences of working in news publishing yet also during these 36 years and probably even longer if we challenge David on it he didn't want to talk to any of his colleagues or his employer and to tell them that he was battling mental health problems David believed it would damage his career he was embarrassed and really scared of the potential consequences yet David is now using his experience of going through this along with his incredible commercial background and his business knowledge to help organizations all over the world implement mental health and well-being strategies into their workplaces. And what I love the most, David's purpose and his, uh, what, what gets him going every day or what I think does, is he has committed the rest of his working life to reducing the stigma of mental health in the workplace. David, we couldn't have a more apt guest for this week than you. So welcome. How are you? I'm very good, Ruth, and it's a real pleasure to be uh, chatting to you today. And uh, as you shared, you call me Beans. Let me share that I always call you Ruth. Let's dance. So uh, <laughs> let's get dancing, Ruth. We're going to have a jingle soon, aren't we? <laughs> we sure are. OK, then, Beans. So on to the first question on the one and only rule of Inspire Club. Can you share with me a story of someone that has inspired you in the world of work? And also tell me why they inspired you. I'm going to choose a lady called Sharon Randall, who was my managing director for the last 13 years when I had a proper job. Because when I reflect back, Sharon was brutal to work for in many ways. She was a brilliant sales leader, but she totally got engagement. I remember her coming up to me one day, Ruth, and saying to me, "Um, how's Sally's dog? And I started laughing. And I said, I didn't even know Sally had a dog. And Sharon didn't laugh at all. And she said, David, I'm really disappointed in you because Sally's dog's her life. Next time you see Sally, ask her about her dog. And do you know what? When I I next saw Sally, I did that. And when I look back at my working relationship with Sally, she became a real advocate of mine, a fantastic employee. 
But it only really changed the day I said to Sally, how's your dog? Because at that point, she realized I cared about her as a human being. And after that day, she was always so much more emotionally engaged within the organization. So it's Sharon Randall. She was my boss for 13 years. I am the, uh, the godfather to her only child. So we're very close friends as well now. But no, she was an inspiration, a brilliant sales lead, but totally got the power of, em of employee engagement. There you go. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you, Sharon. And I think there's like so many lessons we could all learn from Sally's dog, right? Like I, I also remember being taught that lesson um, from a boss of mine. He didn't tell me quite as explicitly as Sharon told you, but he once shared with me that he had a little spreadsheet that he'd created of all the people in his team and not just his direct line reports, but people that interacted with him on a regular basis, vendors, etc. And on this spreadsheet, and it was only a couple of columns, it had like their name, and then he wrote a few things about like their interests. And he shared it with me once. And I learned that one of the guys who was a, was a real clear introvert, very shy, kept himself to himself on the team, he had pet snakes. And you just would never know this about him. And I had a real similar in, um, experience with you where, I mean, we could never really get him to talk to any of us. And I once sat with him and said, oh, I hear that you keep pet snakes. I don't know anything about snakes. But he started, it was his passion. So he started opening up about it. So learning that lesson around Sally's dog. We're not, we're going down a pet theme here, right? But I guess the lesson from Sharon, what I'm hearing from you is get to know people as humans. Yep. We, Ruth, we used to have a three-hour monthly sales meeting that was a very, very punchy meeting. And we always used to start with a non-work-related check-in that took about half an hour. And, and one particular month, our three-hour meeting got cut short to only an hour. So someone naturally said to Sharon, look, we've got a, a packed agenda today. We've got so much to get through. We've only got an hour. Can we cut out the non-work-related check-in? And Sharon said, no way. I learn more about you lot in that half an hour than I do for the rest of the month. And she recognized that 30 minutes when we didn't even talk about work was her secret weapon to driving engagement. So, yes, Sharon Randall is my star of the day. Wow, Sharon, thank you. And David, thank you for sharing that. I think there's probably quite a lot of leaders listening to this right now that, oh, anyone really that could take, um, take some lessons from Sharon on engagement. That's amazing. David, I think I've touched on this already, but I, I'm, I'm actually not 100% sure I know it. What is your my why? What What's your purpose? What drives you? I was about 40 years old and uh, I was helping to facilitate a session um, around what is your purpose in life. And I sat with a group of people who had been given the task of talking about what their purpose is. And they all turned towards me and they said, uh, David, let's start with you because you're really easy to do. And I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, Clearly, your purpose in life is to make people feel better about themselves. And ever since that day, um, I've thought, that is my purpose. So when I got the opportunity a few years ago to try and influence culture in the workplace, to try and make workplaces even greater places for people to work, I realized that it's about as close as I can get to fulfilling purpose every day. So the reason I get out of bed every day is because... I just want people to feel better about themselves. And I know if employers treat people in the right way, they will do. So that's my why. That's why I do what I do. That's amazing. 
to make people feel better about themselves. And amazing that someone just could already tell what your purpose was. Like you display it, you ooze it. And I would 100% agree with that from the moment, since the moment I've met you as well. What's the best experience you've ever had at work? I'm lucky enough to say it's actually in the last year. I've got the pleasure at the moment of working with the Royal Navy in the, in the UK. And my job with the Royal Navy is to help them to get rid of their macho culture to make it easier for sailors to be honest about their true mental well-being. And I was having a session with some very senior military personnel um, about six months ago when all of a sudden one of them felt inspired to talk about their challenges they've had with mental health that they'd never talked about ever before in their lives and they never ever thought they would do. And what it, what it created was an I'm Spartacus moment where suddenly other senior military personnel were keen to put their hand up and say, can I share my mental health story too? And to be have the privilege of working with such senior military leaders in an incredibly macho culture and to get them talking about their battles with anxiety and depression and PTSD and so on was, was so um, humbling. And I felt you know, this is what this is all about for me. And so that, that was my proudest moment so far from a, from a workplace point of view, I would imagine. Wow, I'm not surprised. I'm like, you must have gone into that thinking this is going to be a hard nut to crack, like literally, right? Like, am, am I going to get, am I going to get such a deep rooted culture of we hide our feelings, we're macho, you know, we're here to do a job. Am I going to get them to open up? That's amazing. Amazing. I, I don't deny it, and you're spot on. The first time I started work with them, I I thought, will they respect me because I've never been in the military myself? And you know, people like me sometimes struggle to connect with 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 people who work in the military. So um, yeah, I was hence I was even more proud of creating that sort of a that safe space in that room that day that people felt they could talk that openly about things. So yeah, without doubt, my, my favourite moment so far. Wow, I thought you were going to tell me that it, in that ship that day. <laughs> you did it in a room. <laughs> what do you think is a what do you think is a major workplace priority right now? I think the and you can probably guess what I'm going to say here, but it is to make well-being um, a strategic priority. I still get very task-focused leaders saying to me, David, I get all this well-being stuff but surely we have to put the needs of the business first. And I always say back, well, the only way to put the needs of the business first is to put your, your well-being conversations and your, your well-being priorities right up front in the business, because then you're, you're, you're almost guaranteed to look after the needs of the business. And I get that some very task-focused leaders still find that difficult to get their heads around. But without doubt, Ruth, and I know you see this every day, where, where senior leaders are, are making sort of um, well-being, where they're trying to inspire their, their, their workforces, um, they are the ones who are, who are achieving great results, even during a pandemic. So, yeah, you probably guessed what I was going to say there, but senior leaders have got to make well-being one of their strategic priorities and recognize it's not a fluffy subject. It's not HR's latest thing that's going to go away in the next 12 months to be replaced by something else. 
If you want to get the best out of your people, if you want to optimize the potential of your business, you have to have well-being as a strategic priority, without a doubt. You're, you're absolutely right, David. And you're absolutely right that the organizations that are seeing the successes are the ones that are putting well-being at the forefront. They're not seeing it as fluffy. They're seeing it as an absolute business imperative. You're absolutely right. You're also right that I expected you to say that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't think I've interviewed a podcast guest recently that hasn't said that. And they work in all different walks of life and fields and industries and all over the world that hasn't that hasn't said that to me. In fact, um, I recently um, interviewed uh, Mike Adams from an organization called Purple, um, who he is passionate about um, supporting organizations in employing and seeing the potential and the commercial potential of people that have disabilities. I expected him to say there's a huge untapped market um, in the disabled market. And he actually said, mental well-being is a workplace priority right now you know and it, it nothing like the last um year and a half now um has shown us that even more so that it's such an important priority what's the best piece of advice anyone's ever given you was it sharon or was it someone else no it was somebody else um very early in my career i was on a train the trainer course and uh on the final day, we all had to deliver um, a 30 minute training session to our peers. And I was last on that day. And I remember all day feeling quite anxious about it. And uh, it finally came to my half an hour and I delivered what I thought was a pretty good training session. And the, the guy taking the course in front of all my peers said to me, uh, David, I am really, really disappointed in you. He said, do you know why I put you on last? And I said, no. He said, I put you on last because it's been a long day and I thought you'd make us all smile. I thought you'd make us all laugh. He said, I thought you'd be really engaging and entertaining because that's, that's what you are. And he said, but do you know what? Mm -hmm. Today, you've been really boring. He said, technically, yeah, you got it okay. He said, but promise me, you will never, ever, ever again deliver anything where you're not being you. For God's sake, David, always be yourself. And I, I've... I've literally taken that on board. Um, ever since that day, I've always thought, just just do what you want to do. If you want to give out tins of baked beans, give out tins of baked beans. If you want to show a plastic frog in all of your presentations, do that. If you want to get your bouncy balls out, do it. Don't, don't worry about what other people are thinking. Just be you. So that's probably the best advice I ever got, Ruth. Yeah, and that is incredible. I remember doing a... Uh, I think it was a four-day residential train-the-trainer course early on in my career as well. <laughs> I always remember it being abbreviated to TTT, and that's never, ever left me. Um, I remember doing it. And actually, uh, such also a really incredible course, being given that advice to be you. Don't be a, uh, the second you feel like you're training or presenting or interviewing or whatever. You, whenever you step into a different type of role, I guess, we have this kind of tendency to turn into robots <laughs> and to lose like who we are as humans and, and that is evident and clearly it was evident to your trainer that day just be you yeah, just do right. you just do you love doing you and people will love you not everybody will but people will love you amazing piece of advice just be you um david i, I know it's been a real 
challenging year um, personally, no doubt professionally for you, for me, for everyone. Um, and with that has come additional layers of stress and um, unpredicted stress, I guess, as well. Yet you do always seem to me, you, you always seem upbeat and um, optimistic and happy. How do you do it or what do you do to combat stress? The fact that you always see that shows how easy it is sometimes to hide what's really going on. I realised just before last Christmas, Ruth, that I was starting to feel really mentally drained, absolutely exhausted. And I actually had a fear that I might make myself ill because I'm overdoing it. And I remember thinking how embarrassing as a, as a well-being consultant if I, if I become ill because I'm not looking after myself. Now, I managed to get myself a lot across the line at Christmas. But then over the Christmas period, I used it as a time to reflect about why do I feel so flat? Why do I feel so low? And I realized um, to bring this to life for everyone, there's probably four key things I do in life to, to unwind, to, to relax, to vent the frustrations of life. And those four things were, I play squash once or twice a week, but the leisure centers have been closed. I like to watch my beloved Watford Football Club. The football grounds have been closed. I like to go down the pub and have a few beers and a nice meal and the pubs have been shut. And I like to go to my holiday home in Bulgaria, but I haven't been there for 18 months. And I realized that all the things that I normally do have been cut off from me. And I was replacing that with work, 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 work. And it's not sustainable. We've all got to get that balance right and, and realize the things that we do in life to really relax and find our happy places in. So for me, it's not just one thing. It's a number of things that I do to, to keep this, this smile genuine and to keep my energy levels up. But during a pandemic, it's very easy to cut off that supply, which is why I think people have really got to uh, reflect at the moment and, and realize what, what do you do to give you energy? And if it's being cut off, um, take, it, take it serious. Uh, because I, I was exhausted at the end of last year and I'm never going to let myself ever get like that again in my life. I promise you. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's so easy for us to not recognize it, particularly people like, well, I'm, I'm not traveling anywhere. I'm not commuting. I'm not flying around the world. I'm not in groups of 100 people um, and I'm not doing all of those things yet. Why am I so exhausted and I haven't even left my front door? But actually, you're so right. For someone like me, who is naturally an extrovert, I get my energy from being around other people. <laughs> I get my energy from networking and traveling and experiencing different things. And therefore, it's incredibly draining being locked inside your own home. For some people, it, that can be the opposite. But yeah, listening and understanding yourself and, and then working out well, coming, what me and my husband have done a lot this year is work out what's a compromise. We can't go to a pub, but can we create a pub at home? Or we can't go to a cinema, but maybe if we move the sofa a little bit closer to the television, we can create, you know, how do you, how do you create those experiences and, and do that? Thank you for sharing that. What do you think, thinking about um, leadership, and you touched on this at the beginning, that, that important role that leaders have to play what do you think is the most important quality in a leader from what i've observed in the last year um the word authenticity springs to mind i 
hear some leaders talking about the importance of their people, talking about the importance of well-being. But I just sense they're not being authentic. They've been on a, on a course and they realize the right things to say, but they don't provide their people with any real evidence or any noticeable changes in their own behavior. And I think when you see leaders are being authentic, it makes a huge difference. So I'm going to choose the word authentic today as what I think is an essential key skill for any leader in 2021. Be authentic. Thank you. I completely agree with you as well on that. You see these leaders of they've read an article or they've been on a course or they've told they've got to they, they've got to talk about well-being, but then they're not displaying it themselves. Um, being humble and being humane and being authentic. Those three characteristics of a leader have come up in everything we've been doing from our Inspirathon to podcasts to content to workshops. They continue to keep coming up as things that we need to see more out of leaders, admitting when they don't know the answers and admitting when they make mistakes and telling everyone that they're having a bad day or that they're not feeling well or that they've got unwell children or being a and being human but being authentic with it as well. Is there anyone in the world that you'd like to swap jobs with right now, even if it was only for tomorrow? Can I apologise in advance that this may only a really relate to people in the UK. But in the UK, we've just finished watching a brilliant TV program called Line of Duty that I think had 15 million people watching the final episode on Sunday just gone. If I could be anyone for a day, I'd be the producers of Line of Duty. I would go back and I'd rewrite the final episode because it was pants. They've really let the, <laughs> the, the nation down. So I know that won't relate to everyone globally. But I'm sure you've all watched a brilliant film or a brilliant series on Netflix. And right at the end, it disappoints you. Well, trust me, this program, Line of Duty, really let us all down at the end on Sunday. So if I could be anyone for a day, I'd be the producer of that program. I'd rewrite the final episode. I'd send out an apology to 15 million people. And then I'd move on quickly and go back to doing what I do every day because I quite enjoy that too. Oh, that sounds like a good to-do list for, for Friday <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, so I've watched all the previous series of Line of Duty, but I'm very much a binge watcher. Um, so I was, I was, I was like, I'm not going to watch this series. I'm going to wait until it's done, and then I'm going to watch it all in one go. Not all in one go, right? Because I have got three little children. But me and my husband will dedicate a couple of evenings to watching it all. And then I saw all of this uproar all over social and everything about the last episode was pants, as you said. And now I like, don't even want to watch it. But I don't want anyone to tell me what happens, but I don't even want to watch it. So I feel like um, I'm not incentivized to watch that now. I'll just stick with my... Despite what I said, it's still a brilliant series. And, it, and it, I'm sure now they've set it up nicely for the next one. So um, I'd still watch it. You would. Is there anything at the moment that you're learning or is there anything that you've learnt recently what have i learned recently um i know it's a corny phrase but but every day is a school day and i work with so many amazing people in in so many uh, diverse organizations um that uh, I, I guess i'm learning every day um what i've learned today um is again how amazing you are i don't know how you do it i don't know how you're uh 
a managing director uh, for Inspiring Workplaces Academy. You're bringing up three young children. You say I'm always smiling and full of beans. Well, you're always smiling and full of energy as well. And I think that uh, you're, you're amazing. And I'm learning, you know, again today, what an awesome human being Ruth Dance is. So I know that's very corny and oh. people can't see your face at the moment, but I can. And you're, you're looking very embarrassed. But I don't <laughs> care. I actually don't care how embarrassed you look at the moment. I think you're awesome. Oh, beans. You are making me blush <laughs> for everyone that can't see you right now. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change this up in a little bit now while I'm blushing. I, I, I think I know you, but let's see. Um, this is your quick fire round. If you were a teacher, what would you teach? Kindness. From a very young age, everybody, managers, CEO, five-year-olds, the, the, the acts of kindness are make you feel good about yourself, but they help other people. They drive engagement. They drive sales. They, they create a lot of love in the world. Um, I get kindness as, as one of the key things that we teach in life. There you go, kindness. Wow. See, my eldest son... He's four. No, he's not. He turned five two days ago. Um, and I'm having that conversation with him a lot at the moment about now be kind, be kind to that person, include that person, be kind. I don't know when at some point between the ages of zero and five, now five, he has either unlearnt kindness or, or developed habits to be unkind in the playground or with other children. Um, but it's definitely something that... Um, yeah, I'm noticing quite early on. I thought I'd brought him up to be kind, but quite early on, he's stepping out of those boundaries already. Yes, brilliant. Are you a early bird, David, or are you a night owl? I'm so much an early bird. Um, uh, always been a morning person. Um, I'm rubbish at the other end of the day, but I'm a complete early bird. Fab, same as me. Um, what about music? Um, what song? What's your what? If you need to put a song on to like really fire you up to get you productive or to really change your mood, what song would it be? This one will sound a bit corny, but I've been trying to get married for the last year and I'm still not married. And um, our, our first dance song, um, uh, I've forgotten the name of the singer. Um, it's called Lady and he's a, a country and Western singer. And um, he sadly died in the last couple of years. Uh, and I can't think of his name. Um, Oh, well, I'll have a look. A, but the song is Lady, and it's it's my first dance song. Um, I'll I'll kick myself when you say his name. I can't believe I've forgotten it. Um, who who is it? Um, I'm just googling it now. So the song's called Lady. It's it's such a well known singer across the globe. Had huge, you know, huge albums across the world for years. Uh, Ken, is it Kenny Miller? Oh, let's have a look. Let's have a look. Why can't I find this? There'll be people listening right now going, come on, come on. I know, I know. Um, and it's called Lady. This is the bit I just can't find. Kenny Rogers? Kenny Rogers. Of course it's Kenny Rogers. <laughs> okay. I think Kenny Miller was a, a footballer for Scotland. But Kenny Rogers, of <laughs> course it's Kenny Rogers. When, when I hear that song start, Lady, which he sings, it, it sends shivers down my spine. And in July of this year, I'm finally marrying the love of my life. And, uh, and that, that's why that song means so much to me at the moment. If that comes on the, on the radio, 
I, I just, I love it. Oh, amazing. I'm going to have a listen to this as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> um, what's the, has anything funny happened to you recently that's clean that you can share? Uh, it's just about clean. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I mentioned earlier on that I, I play squash. Uh, well, I was playing squash recently and I was only just warming up, but I've been on the court about five minutes when I realised I'd forgotten to put my shorts on. Um, <laughs> I, I was wearing quite a long sports top and I, I did have blue underpants on, um, but I'd forgotten to put my shorts on. And uh, this will sound even worse, but I was, I was playing a lady as well. Um, fortunately, because my top was quite long and she was probably being quite polite, she she claimed she hadn't noticed. But I, I had to run back to the change rooms to put my shorts on. So that was quite funny. <laughs> that's very funny. Oh, that's funny. I've actually just taken that as a little snippet as a quote for this. <laughs> that is so funny, David. Thank you, Ruth. Oh, that's so funny. I don't you, know how you think. You did say we could edit this, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, Right, right. You and your fiance, or anyone else that lives in the house with you, um, how good are you? Are, who, who does more? How good are you around the house? Oh, Lisa's amazing around the house. Um, I am. I'm great at washing up. I'm. I'm okay at hoovering. I'm really good at making beds. Um, I'm good at keeping the house tidy. But do I really clean? Probably not. Um, I make the house look like it's all tidy and lovely, but do I really get under the surfaces? And I, I'll also let the, the, the laundry bin pile up. I'm not very good at putting washing in the machine. Um, so yeah, that's the area I let myself down. Oh, my twin one-year-olds are obsessed with the washing machine. I'm sure they're going to unlearn that habit at some point as well. Um, have you got a favorite film? <sighs> Probably a very common one. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, I think, is an amazing film. I also love Midnight Express. But as a man, I'm a bit embarrassed to say this one. But if ever I wanted to just, I could watch this film again and again. It would always lift my spirits. And I am a bit of a romantic. I do love Mamma Mia, you know. Um, really? I find it such an uplifting film. Um, I find it good fun. And, uh, and I can watch it again and again. A bit like Dirty Dancing. And another one that I'm, yeah. I admit as a guy, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's fine. There's no gender biases on these films. You just recognise a good film there, Beans. But I bet <laughs> you get people on here who are really cool with their music and their choice of films. And here's me going, Mamma Mia. And, and a song by a guy called Kenny. I couldn't even remember his name. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know what's cool and what's not. I'm very uncool. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there something you've done and you would never do again, except for turning up onto the squash court in just your underpants? I'd never go on a TV quiz show again. I went on Catchphrase in the UK in front of 11 million people um, about 25 years ago, and I was the worst person ever in the entire history of this particular quiz show. Um, and I completely embarrassed myself. So I'd never go on a TV quiz show again. <laughs> oh, I'd love to dig out that episode. Um, what, where's the best place in the world you've ever visited? My, my happy place is, is in Bulgaria. Um, I'm very lucky to have a, a home there. And uh, when I go there, it's the one place I truly relax. Bulgaria is a bit Marmite. People either love it or hate it, but I absolutely love it. I love the food. I love the people. I love the weather. And I can't wait to get back there again soon. Oh, hopefully soon. And this is my last question for you. And this is a staple one because this is what helps form all future episodes of Inspire Club. Who would you like to nominate to be a guest on the Inspire Club podcast? 
I would like to nominate um, the CEO of a business called Vanarama called Andy Alderson. He's the CEO of a very successful business called Vanarama. And he did what I think is the most inspirational um, thing I've seen happen in the last year in terms of employee engagement and inspiring his people. Now, bearing in mind, Ruth, he employs a lot of young people and his business is very salesy. It's very much sell, sell, sell. Andy did a video last April or May um, that he sent out to all of his staff and he also put it on LinkedIn. And it went a little bit like this. It went, hi, everyone. Um, at the moment, I don't care about sales. He said, what I care about is you and your well-being and your family's well-being. He said, my priority over the coming months is going to be to make sure we've still got a great business at the end of this pandemic that we're all still really proud to work for. And he said, I'm going to say it again now. At the moment, I don't care about sales. Well, guess what? Sales went up. His people were so inspired by the authenticity of his messaging, they wanted to work even harder for the organization. Does Andy care about sales? Of course he cares about sales. <laughs> He's put his entire life into building his business. Was he authentic when he said he didn't care about sales? Yes, he was. And that was recognized by his people. Um, and I, I, I think he'd, be, he'd make a brilliant podcast interview because he, he just gets everything that I believe about how to get the best out of people. But he's running a great business at the same time. He's not a big softy who just is so into his people. He's a great businessman, too. And I think he'd make a great guest of your podcast. There you go. Oh, amazing. David, I've learned so much from you in the last 30 minutes. And the key things that have just stood out is this piece around get to know your people, be authentic with your people the results will follow. And you've shared so many amazing examples of that. So anyone listening today, get to know your people, get to know Sally's dog, <laughs> be, be authentic with them and watch the results come in. Oh, and find out if people have got a pet snake. And find out if they've got a pet snake. Just find out about people. Just get to know people. We're people. We're not robots. We have, we have lives and backgrounds and interesting things about <laughs> us and challenges and lives and everything else. Um, thank you for making me blush. Thank you so much for being a guest. And as I said, couldn't think of a more apt guest for Mental Health Awareness Week here in the UK than someone who spends his life now dedicating to reducing that stigma around mental health in the workplace. David, you've been amazing. And for anyone that has any suggestions for future guests, we're going to get in contact with Andy from Vanarama and just um, keep listening, keep stay tuned. And again, thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Ruth. Real pleasure. Take care. Bye.